Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Scripture reading today is going to continue in Romans 5, verse 12. You can turn there, Romans 5, 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair back in front of you. It's page 942. Um, my name's Paul Stephen, and I'm not perfect, uh, but I serve a God who is. Uh, I became um, married to my wife and have been married for over 22 years. Um, my hope and faith in him has allowed me to be a husband, be a friend, to raise our three blessed um, children, Bennett, Bella, and Brinkley. We've been part of this community here for uh, 15 years, and Melissa and I have been covenant members for over five. Uh, I serve a men's ministry Bible study here in the lobby at 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings. Men, if you're not a part of this, uh, come. Be a part of it. We start next week. Uh, I serve a group of uh, 12 men uh, as a table leader. We encourage one another. We study God's word together. I also have the privilege of leading a discipleship group with 12 men and women. Um, these folks have really become our extended family, people that we can trust, we can lean on in prayer, and when times are good, we can celebrate uh, that God is just faithful. If you're not a part of a discipleship group, I'd encourage you to become a part. Uh, it's a community we all do need and will need. So most importantly, I get to share the good news with you this morning. The scripture again is Romans 5 verses 12 through 14. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. This is the word of God. Good morning. My name is Mark McPherson. I'm overstudent ministry here at the Door Church and privileged to be on our preaching team. Uh, as we dive into the book of Romans this morning, I would just love to pray over our time. Please pray with me. Father, you are so good to us. And by your grace, we are all here to sit under your word. I pray that by your spirit, you would just meet us in a new way this morning. Your presence would be so clear to us. I pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart to see your son so clearly. I pray you'd open the ears of our heart that we might hear your word. Father, as I speak on your word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. We know that the Grass withers and the flower falls, but your word is eternal. May it lead us into your house this morning. Or goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. Because we're hidden in your son. Hidden in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Sermon title this morning is The One to Come. The One to Come. And in these three verses, I want to see three things. The crisis the choice, and the one to come. The crisis, the choice, and the one to come. Patrick Henry once wrote, give me liberty or give me death. 
But I've been doing a lot of studying on some old theologians, so I didn't look up anything about Patrick Henry. I'm just very tired of looking up old dead people. Um, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, I, I've heard this before, give me liberty or give me death. I heard it because I grew up listening to hip-hop, and so there's a song by this group called Dead Prez, and they say it almost exactly the same. They say it just a little bit different. He says, either you have a Lexus or justice, a dream or some substance, a beamer, a necklace, or freedom. Christian, this morning, I'm wondering, are we looking at our life, this Christian life, as one or the other? Is it only death or is it only liberty and not both? Is our redemption one that is merely just spiritual and not physical? Or is it not both? The crisis we stand in this morning is that we forget our perspective, a true perspective. Look at verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Paul is bringing us back to the very beginning. He's bringing us back to Adam and Eve. And if you're a Christian this morning who believes in the creation story of how God created the world with Adam and Eve, you, like myself, have uttered this theological groaning that, that takes on a form that looks like this. Adam, what are you doing, man? We do that, Adam, dude, you blew it. And I think we make the mistake of saying sometimes, I would have done it different. If you knew what it, Adam, if you knew what you were doing for the rest of us, you would have done it different. Some of us are wise enough to say with our words that, nah, I probably would have done the same thing. Some of us are wise enough to say that. But all of us, all of us, wise or unwise, say and do what Adam does with our actions and with our nature. Our actions and our nature align with Adam. See, Paul is bringing us back to this place of the beginning because he's making an excellent point. So in verse 12, when he starts with therefore, you have to see why there is a therefore. There's a therefore, why is it therefore? Because in verses 1 through 11, he's unpacking this amazing truth that peace with God has been made through one man. That we actually have redemption and peace with God through one man, Jesus Christ. And he's unpacking this for us. He's saying, therefore, Paul's beginning to show us that redemption can come into the world through one man because our fallenness and our brokenness and sin came into the world through one man. And he's proving that point. He's trying to destroy the argument the Jews have that we have Moses and we have the law. So we're going to be all right. And he's destroying that argument, showing that through one man came brokenness sin, but through one man comes redemption. And so he draws us back to the beginning of the creation. He draws us back to remember God's word, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And he spoke this world into existence over six days. And on the sixth day, he made man in his own image. And he put Adam to sleep and he plucked a rib out of him. And he made a beautiful creature. And Adam said, whoa, man. And that's women. And he made woman. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply. And at the end of chapter 2, he says that they were naked and unashamed. Praise the Lord. That's how good our God is. And on the seventh day, he rested because it was good. And he made Adam to be his gardener. He's the gardener in Eden. And he gave Adam dominion. He said, Adam, name all the animals. Adam was to be a king. Adam was to be a prophet, to speak on behalf of God. And he is to cultivate the earth. He was to dress it and keep it is what the scripture says. That word keep is the same word that he gives to the priest. Adam is our great priest. And Adam was to lead Eve. He was responsible for her. He was to be a servant leader and lead faithfully. And he was the bridegroom. So many beautiful titles given to Adam. And in Genesis 3, we see that they eat of the fruit. They eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and they fall, and they believe the lie that God isn't truly for them, that God's holding out on them, and there's something else out there that will fulfill them. They believe the lie. See, Eve, she eats the fruit, and she shows us the lie that we're believing in Genesis verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And this decision right here is going to fracture our relationship with creation itself. It's going to fracture our relationship with one another, and it's going to fracture our most relationship with God. It is going to fracture everything. And sin is going to enter into the world and death through sin to all men. To all men. Because in that act of sin, all men stand guilty of sin. That in that act, we are all in Adam. All of us in Adam fall guilty of that one act of treason. In Adam, we are all responsible. And we find ourselves in this inescapable reality of the fallen world that we live in, where there is murder, where there is cheating, where there is rape, where there is suffering. And we find our nature being the same as Adam's. See, our nature is the same. We have dominion, but in that dominion and in our fallen nature, we don't believe we have dominion over the world. We believe we have dominion over one another. In our fallen nature, we don't cultivate people in this world, but what we cultivate are the seeds in our heart that lead to more evil. We cultivate the seed of murder within our very hearts that maybe leads to actually murdering someone, or maybe it just leads to character assassination and gossip. We cultivate the seed of lust as we are to be responsible over shepherding and loving one another. We take from one another with lustful eyes and lustful intent. We have the same nature as Adam. 
See, we have the same nature and we give into the same lies. We give into the same lies. We give into the lies of the lust of our flesh. The lust of our flesh. See, see, Eve says that it was good for food. She saw the fruit and it was good for food. It's the lust of her flesh. We give into the same lies that we are going to do whatever we need to do to feel comfortable. And we serve us being comfortable people. Eve gives in and Adam gives in into the lust of the eyes, the delight to the eyes is what it says in Genesis 3. It's this delight to look good in someone else's eyes. This is what we do. We believe that we need to have a delight in someone else's eyes. And so we do whatever we need to do to be approved of, to be accepted. We give in to the pride of life. She desired it to make one wise. The pride of life is the lie of trying to control this life. To have power in your life that you might know what's going on, that you could have ultimate control. And we give in to the same lie. The ultimate lie is that none of these things can be found in God. And we must be our own gods. And we must take matters into our own hands. And when we look for life outside of God, what we deserve from the creator of life is death itself. When we look for life outside of God, what we deserve from the creator of life is death itself. And this morning, the scripture is drawing us to face death. And the reality of our culture is that we either deny it or we befriend it. We deny death or we befriend it. We deny death all the time. We push it to the outskirts of our society. When a couple hundred years ago, death happened right in the bedroom. It was right there. You saw your loved one pass away. And we try so desperately to push it away. I was in the hospital this weekend. I was just thinking like someone in here is dying. But I'm not going to see it because we push it away. And when we watch TV shows where death happens and it's gory, we know that's not right. We're like, don't show the kids this. It's too, it's too gory. It's too much death. And what are we trying to say? We're saying this needs to be pushed away because it's scarring me. It's actually terrifying me that this is what's going to happen, that we are going to wither away. It scars us to see death. We are terrified of it. We are terrified of death, and so we deny it. And we're terrified of not knowing. We're terrified of going into death like driving without windows. So I think what we're truly terrified is the truth that we suppress in our hearts, that it's not being afraid that there's nothing after this. But what we're truly terrified is that we will have something after this, and that there will be a judge I think that's what we're truly terrified of. And so we push death away and we deny it. Or we befriend it. Or we befriend it. We, we say, you know, death is natural. Death is natural. It happens to all of us. I had a buddy pass away uh, in a car accident. And someone said, uh, you, know, it's like, it, you know, it's like the circle of life. It happens to everyone. I was like, we're about to throw hands. That's what happened. Um, death is not natural. We say things like, oh, it's the, the dreamless sleep, or it's, it's entering the void, or it's going back, returning to the all soul, some kind of consciousness that's beyond us that we don't understand. You know, there's a movie called Soul. 
a Disney movie where this happens, and I'm, I'm mixed for that movie because it's really bad theology, but it's got jazz. So it's like, it's a wrestle for me, you know? Uh, watch at your own discretion. But in that movie, I do like that as he's entering into this all soul, he's seeing these people go into the light, and it's like, they, there's like something going into the sun. And what happens is he's terrified, and he fights it because he's actually having the right response that there's nothing, if there's nothing after this, if you just return into this all soul, what he really begins to realize is that the life I lived was worthless. And so he fights to get back to it. See, it's, it's the fear of the dying of the light. That's a crisis we're all in. Is that a life with nothing on the other side leads to a life that is joyless because there is no purpose. And your life is worthless even if you do a bunch of great things and they put your name on a statue. One day that sun's going to blow up and then this earth is going to blow up and then no one's going to remember you. It would all be for nothing. It's a joyless life. And I know because I've denied death and I've befriended it. I denied death my whole life. I eat candy all the time when I was a kid and now it's catching up with me. My teeth are falling out of my head. And also, I thought, you know what, I, you know what? I'll read the Bible when I'm 30. I'll grow up, I'll, I'll have time for all this. But I was 21. I get a call from my mom. She's got breast cancer. And death is at my front door. And I'll never forget that crippling anxiety as I was at UNT thinking, what am I going to do if she goes? And I dropped out of college and I was crippled. So I denied death for so long. And after that, I befriended death. I treated it like it was natural, like it's coming to all of us. And what I did was even worse. I masked it. I masked it in Christianity. This fake Christianity that said, you know what? You know, God's, God's good. He's, we're all saved by grace, and, and it's going to be all right. And, and, and you know what? I'm going to just, you know, do what I want because it's his job to forgive me at the end of all this, so whatever. But really what I was saying is that death is now my king, and I'm going to be friends with death, and I'm going to be merry all the days long until it comes for me. And so I drowned myself in drugs and alcohol. And I was lost in addiction. See, in Adam, we all sinned. In Adam, death spread to all men because all sinned. And here's the truth about it. Sin is not something that is just something you have. It's not like sin is something like, I got some sin, man. I got some sin in my back pocket. I got some sin in my glove box. That's not like what sin is. So what the scripture is telling us is that we are in sin. We are in it. We are in sin. It's our very nature. And sin doesn't wait to bring death. It doesn't wait to bring death from every little death in our life until we return to dust. We are in sin. We are in Adam. He is our federal headship. He represents us. And we're all like Westerners. So we're like, I'm an individual. Why? I got to pay for Adam's sin. Adam did his thing. Let me do my thing. How come God doesn't judge me based on what I did? Why is he based me on what Adam did? But to be honest, everybody in here loves federal headship. Like y'all love it. I love it. Why do y'all like Patrick Mahomes when he's in the Super Bowl? Cowboys fans, but now we're all Chiefs fans. Why? Because he's a Texas boy, Texas Tech. That's my boy. 
So we love that representation. Like when Dak does well, we're all like, come on now, Cowboys, Super Bowl. When Dak does bad, what do we do? We start coming after everyone who's in charge. It's Dak, it's Zeke, it's Jerry Jones, because we're attacking what? Our representative. Can I offend you? We've had two very different presidents. One of them represents you, one of them doesn't. One of them is not your president. Because we love it when we have good representation, we hate it when we have bad representation. Can I offend you more? Some of us choose negative representation because we love it. That's why y'all love Bluebell. It's awful ice cream. But yet you choose it because it's from Texas. When haagen is right there on the shelf next to it. You choose negative negative representation. See, headship for us in the Western world is all circumstantial. And this morning, we must see from the text that our nature applauds Adam as our representative. Our nature applauds him. That's the crisis we're in. The crisis of our very souls is the haunting reality of the position we've lost and the eternal nature of that position, which has been stripped from us. That we were meant to be kings and queens, prophets and priests, to walk in the cool of the garden with our Lord. But now we grope in the darkness for eternity's past as we are lost in the radical nature of our sin. We're lost in the radical nature of our sin. And we must now choose. Will we choose sin or repentance? Will we choose us or the one to come? Secondly, there's a choice. There is a choice in verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. To the choice for us, that we make every day is will we walk in darkness or will we walk in his light? And walking in his light is not a life of good works. I'm a good person. Look at me. I'm following the Ten Commandments. Walking in his light for us this morning is a life of repentance. It's a life of confession, confessing our very nature. See, Paul is ripping away this excuse that you have Moses and you have the law and you have everything you need to be a good person. But what he says here in verse 13 is that sin was in the world before the law was given. That sin was in the world because it's our very nature. Before Moses gave the Ten Commandments, we were still broken because of what Adam did. Adam is our representative. And he goes on to say that sin is not counted where there is no law. And when we read that, we're like, I wish I was just born in between Adam and Moses, man. Sin was not counted. The grace, man, I should have been born then. But it's not a grace period. We know that because we see things like the flood. We see things like Sodom and Gomorrah where God's wrath is poured out on sin. And Abraham, when he's talking to God, before Sodom and Gomorrah is, is burned, he says, if you, will you burn the city if there's 50 righteous people in it? And God says, no. He says, will you destroy the city if there's 45 righteous people in it? And God says, No. And he says, will you destroy the city if there's 10 righteous people in it? And God says, no. But yet God destroys that city. Because what he's saying is that there is none righteous. That even before the law was given, the law was written on our hearts. And we know that we've chosen sin. We know it because it's our very nature. And what Paul is saying here is where he says sin is not counted 
He's saying what isn't counted to those before Moses is the intense guilt and responsibility that greatly increases in the knowledge of the law. That's not what's counted. The great guilt of knowing that you've trespassed, that you have transgressed, that you have stepped over the line that God has told you not to step over, they feel less guilty but yet they still feel guilt and they were still in sin. And what that means for us this morning is whether you know the Ten Commandments or not, or whether you think we're the good people and they're the bad people, death still reigns. Death still reigns in Adam. We all end up in that casket and it absolutely terrifies us. And the law only exposes us. It only exposes us for who we are See, the law exposes our sinful nature by showing us how we choose to sin. The law shows us the sin underneath the sin. Like Christian layup right here. We all lie. I don't even have to ask. Don't raise your hand. I get it. You all lie. That's transgressing. That's crossing the line. That's doing what God told you not to do. But why do you lie? What's the sin underneath your sin? You lie so that you can be comfortable. The lust of the flesh. You lie. You say, ah, I can't. Not tonight. Can't make it tonight. So you could be comfortable. We lie that we might be approved of. We lie on our resume. We lie to that boy you're dating. We lie to that girl you're dating so that we might be accepted. That we might be approved of for the desire of the eyes. And we lie on our taxes and in our work that we might control a little bit more of our finances or have just a little bit more power. See, it's the sin underneath the sin. It's the sin of believing the lie that God doesn't have good for us. We must take it into our own hands. It's the sin of trying to be God himself. It's the sin underneath the sin. Now, out of our fear of death that we know we deserve, we despise God's law when it's good. That when we follow it, they're flourishing. But yet we despise it because it's like a snitch. He's snitching on us. You know who says it really well? It's Hozier. He's a big, tall, dude, long hair, sings music, all ladies like him. Hozier has a song called Take Me to Church. And in that song, he says these words. He says, I'll tell you my sins and you can sharpen your knife. Because what's he rightly getting at? He's thinking that if I come and confess my sins, then only thing that waits for me is death. That's what I'm going to receive. That's what he believes he will receive from God. Because deep down he knows that's what he deserves. And God is so gracious and says, I just want the death of the old man. I want the death of Adam in you. I want you to take off Adam's jersey. I want you to put on mine. We fear confession because we fear the consequence but Jesus has something so much sweeter for us. In Luke chapter 9, verses 22 through 27, I just want to read it. Jesus says this, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. See, I think what we hear when we hear Jesus say, pick up your cross, as Christians, we say, oh, i got to pick up some suffering. Like, oh, i got to be good. I got to be like Jesus. I got to pick up these moments of suffering. But when you look at his words, he says, pick up your cross. Pick up your redemption. That's what the cross is for us. It's a symbol of us being redeemed. Leaving Adam and moving into Christ. Taking off Adam's jersey and putting on Christ's jersey. We're picking up our symbol of redemption. Jesus is saying, pick up life. And he starts by saying, He's going to be killed. I'm going to be killed. So you don't have to be killed that you might not face death. And he says, pick up your cross daily. Daily, that every single day you would have the opportunity to take off Adam's jersey and put on Jesus' jersey. Take off the nature of sin in you and nail it to that cross in which I died for it. And every single day you can walk in light. And you won't even taste death. Jesus is asking us this morning to pick up our redemption. And as we look at the law, what it should do for us is not show us a list of rules and how we could be made right or how we could be justified. It's not our excuse. It's not something that says, look at us, we're better people. But what we might see is Christ and his obedience more clearly as he lived out the law perfectly and fulfilled the promise. He was the promised one to come to redeem his people. Galatians 3.19 says it this way. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come, the one to come to whom the promise had been made that Jesus Christ was going to come and fulfill the law and create a perfect righteousness. And the promise would be made on him, that in him, the promise to Abraham is true, that he will have an offspring that saves the people from their sins and he will make his people great like the stars in the sky and like the sand on the seashore. And the choice for us this morning is that are we going to continue to taste death or are we going to taste and see that he is good? Because Abraham was looking for a righteous man and Jesus Christ is the one righteous man. He is the only one righteous man. And he came on our behalf that he might dress us in that righteousness. That he might give us his righteousness, his perfect record, and we can walk in light. And our fear this morning is confessing that sin we're, we're so afraid of confessing sin because we know it means death for us. And what that really means is like we don't want to confess sin because we're holding so tight to Adam's jersey. I'd rather live in Adam. I'd rather be God. I don't want to confess this. I don't want to bring it to the light. That's what we're saying. But Jesus is saying, no, bring your sin to the cross because that's where you have grace. And that's where I empower you to walk in righteousness. That's the beauty of picking up your cross. There's a movie called Coach Carter where Samuel L. Jackson has a group of basketball kids 
and he's taking over this team. And he's got this one kid named Timo Cruz who always is getting in trouble, and he's a drug dealer. And he, Timo gets cut. He's like, I quit. And he's like, no, you got cut. And then, you know, they go through all this drama in the movie, and, and, and Cruz loses his brother. And when Cruz loses his brother, he runs back to Coach Carter, and he begs him to be back on the team. And all his teammates help him to get back on the team. And they're having this one moment of solidarity where they're going to choose to study rather than play basketball. And Cruz gets up, and he's expressing exactly what Christ has for you. He's expressing it perfectly. He recites this poem called Our Deepest Fear. He says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We're all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we consciously give other people permission to do the same. And as we are liberated from our fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And I love that he says that, that he's afraid of the light within him. But the truth of the gospel is that we have no light while we are in Adam. We are in darkness. And the only light is the light of men, which is Christ Jesus. Then this is only true in Christ. This is the only way that this makes any sense, that in Christ, he adopts us. In Christ, we are his children and we shine as children. It's only in Christ that he liberates us from our fear. It's only in him are we liberated from the fear of death and that through us his light will shine greater to liberate others. It's only in Christ that he is our light. It's only possible in him. He says, I am the light of the world and he calls his church the light of the world. He's saying that my light shines through you because if you're in Adam, all die, but in Christ all are alive. It's only in Christ. Only in him are our fears liberated. Are we orphans now, children? It's only living in him and letting every choice be his. Allow us to walk in light. Especially our own salvation that he chose us. He's knocking on your heart this morning. He has chosen you. And bringing glory to his name and living a life of unstoppable joy and hope is having a heart that looks for the one to come. Only setting your eyes on the one to come. Look at verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. See, Adam, his transgression was, it was different. It was a direct violation of God's very words. But what we see is he was a type of the one to come, that Jesus Christ was going to get a direct word from his father to suffer in our place. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. He was the one to come. And as we look back at Adam and we groan and we say, Adam, why'd you do it? If we are in Christ this morning, We join along with creation and we cry out for the one to come. Are you crying out for him to return? Is that your heart? Is your eyes focused on him coming back? See, death reigned from Adam. But in Christ, life is reigning. 
He was a type of the one to come. Because in Adam, we see our failure. But in Christ, we see life in the one who is coming to make all things new. As we put our faith in Christ, we can live out the words of the Apostle Paul that says, we were crucified with him on the cross. And on that cross, I get to hang up my Adam jersey. And I get to put on my Jesus jersey, my Jesus jersey that he lives in me. It's no longer I who live because he gave himself up for me personally. He gave himself for me. And as we put on Christ's jersey, our nature actually begins to align. When we know the death of our Lord for our very life, we die every day until we enter into his presence. We die physically and we die to ourselves every single day until we enter into his presence because we have a great hope. Well, it's a beautiful thing of being born twice. So you'll be born once of your mama, but you're going to die twice. A physical death and one at judgment. Or you could be born twice. One of your mama and one of the Holy Ghost. And you only die once. And that dying once is the dying every single day until death itself dies. And it only becomes a vehicle to usher you into his presence. See, that's what Jesus came to do, to set all things wrong right, because he's the second Adam. He's the last Adam. He's our true representative. He is my true bridegroom. He is the great high priest. He is my true king, and he's the true gardener. The true gardener. Because on the sixth day of creation, Adam was made, and his name means man. But on the sixth day of the week, Pilate ushered Jesus Christ out into that courtyard and he threw him on the ground and said, behold the man in John 19. And Jesus died for us in our place on that cross as a man dying for the sins of this world, dying for the sins of Adam. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And in John 20, the text says, Mary didn't know who he was. It says, supposing he'd be the gardener. Well, Mary, you ain't wrong. Mary, you ain't wrong. He is the gardener, the true gardener who rose and defeated death like a seed planted in the soil. He died and he rose that in him we might die to ourselves, die to being an Adam and might have life in Christ. See, this is the truth of the Christian faith. It's not give me liberty or give me death. It's Jesus says, I give you my death and I give you liberty. I give it to you. Take my death upon you and I give you liberty. See, in him is true freedom that shines brighter than any necklace. That's true freedom. And in him, death, in him, death is, is better than Alexis. See, because of his justice, he took my punishment. The justifier became, uh, the, the, just, the justice one became the justifier. And his Lexus. It's a VIP access to his presence, and it's called death. That as we go back into dust, he brings us into his very presence. That's the one to come. That's the one by which all men are saved. That's the one who is the head of the church. That is the one who came to save, and that's the one who's going to come again in all of his glory and make all things new. And if you have any doubt this morning, 
If you utter the words of Paul, I mean of John the Baptist who says, are you the one to come or shall we look for another? Jesus is speaking to you this morning saying, go and tell John what you have, what you hear and see that the blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. That's our true bridegroom. That's our true king. That's our true priest. That's the true gardener. Suffering servant who came to suffer on our behalf that we might pick up our cross and have life and have it abundantly. Worship him with me this morning in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for being here today and guiding us this here this morning to be in this place. I pray that by your spirit, we would answer your call this morning to just have some time to confess all the ways in which we're holding on to Adam. I pray that as we have time to respond through singing and through prayer, that we would just let go of ourselves and hold tightly to you. By your spirit, open our eyes to see the beauty of Christ more clearly to see what he's done for us and the righteousness that he's afforded to us, the hope that we have. Let us face death and know that we face it with great joy and great life because you have defeated death and you have the keys to death. And Spirit, I pray that you would just knock on hearts who don't know you. And as they feel your presence, I pray that they would open the door and know that you have chosen them before they have chosen you. Jesus, we pray that you would save us from ourselves for the first time and every moment for the rest of our lives that we might walk in your light. We might walk in the goodness of your name. That goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's only by your name, only by your grace. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.